Welcome everyone to an 11th episode of Balls Deep Cinema. Um, with me today is Jay Shatara. I'm Brian Cortez. Um, our third co-host, Steve Raju, was not able to make it tonight, but we do have someone new, a special guest tonight. Her name is Amy Cole. Amy is an experienced writer. She did go to SCAD in Savannah, Georgia, so she does have a lot of familiarity when it comes to film, cinema, uh, TV shows, whatever you call it. But yeah, Amy, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Um, yeah, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both so much for having me on here. This is awesome. Um, like Brandon said, my name is Amy and I do a lot of writing. It's actually my job. I write theme parks, I write scripts, um, and horror is my absolute favorite. So watching this uh, season, not really a season, but watching this limited series was such a fun ride and I'm so excited to talk about it. Yeah, perfect. Sweet. All right. Well, let's kind of go go ahead and get into it. So Amy did mention a miniseries uh, that is The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Um, it was created and directed by Mike Flanagan. He also did have assistance from Michael Filigo, uh, Phil McGuarney. <laughs> totally butchered that. But yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the show uh, just to get both of your thoughts on it. Uh, I thought this was incredible. I thought this was really eerie, creepy. Um, dark and it felt like Mike Flanagan went all out in his uh, swan song for the Netflix uh, partnership that he has uh, but yeah both of you just want to dive in on just you, your general thoughts about the series special guest first go for it <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it as well I've seen a handful of his movies and shows mm -hmm. at this point and I just mm -hmm. thought this was such a such a strong uh, story that he told for uh the limited series. And I'm also a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan. And this really That's felt right. like yep. such a love letter to his work, his poems, his short stories. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I had goosebumps and yeah, it, it gave me emotions too. Like his stuff mm -hmm. normally does. Yeah. I was, I was actually texting my dad this morning. Uh, the cask of Amontillado is one of my favorite like English lit stories. I remember reading it in ninth grade and uh, sport, obvious, obvious spoiler warning, but um, the way that they, they kind of, you know, get to that in the final episode is really well done. Mm -hmm. um, I, also a big fan of the horror genre. I love horror movies, horror shows, whatever. Um, you know, Mike Flanagan has earned our trust at this point with the Haunting series. Um, I thought Blind Manor fell a little short, but uh, Hill House is one of the best miniseries I think I've ever watched, like ever. Um, and this is up there with that as well, along with Midnight Mass. So, um, you know, he does a really great job with this genre. And the storytelling in this one's really deep. You know, each episode's devoted to, like, to one of the children. And that's what I really love is, like, um, you know, the way that each episode kind of alludes at the beginning or the middle, it alludes to how they're going to die. And I thought the foreshadowing was so well done of how each child is eventually going to die. Um, I do think it was a little slow at times, as some of his shows can be with the monologues. Um, I thought Midnight Mass was a big culprit of that. But this show in particular, I like you said, Amy, like the Edgar Allan Poe symbolism was really well tied in. Um, you know, overall, I, I really enjoyed the series. Yeah, no, and you guys put a um, very footwear point about the writing. Um, it started, it did start off a little bit slow, especially with that first episode, but that's fine, right? We expect shows to kind of build in, have the little base, build it, eventually have the roots to foreshadow everything, have them in. Um, the way episode two with, uh, man, I forgot it, Perry, um, you know building having that whole <laughs> nightclub scenery i'm like what the hell like this just immediately mm -hmm. went to something and then 
so far and so on. I just loved how it kind of shocked us with uh, what was going on. Um, I just wanted to go ahead and dive in. Uh, which of these deaths, if you guys remember them very well, which of these kind of like took you out the most, which one took out or just kind of just was like, wow, that was a whoa moment. I think all of them were, but is there one that was a favorite or one that stood out the most to each of you? Uh, I agree. Perry's death left me with my mouth hanging open. Yeah. I, I didn't really know what was about to happen. Of course, yeah. <laughs> knew that something bad was going to mm -hmm. occur, but that was disgusting in the best yeah. way possible. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to make gore kind of artsy, but I think Mike Flanagan does it very well. Not not artsy, but it, it's a very it was a yeah. very stylized death and Man, they were all gruesome, right? But that one just, ooh, that one shook me. Uh, and they were all kind of satisfying in a way, right? Because as you're watching the show, you realize this family is actually full of really crappy human beings, right? Like they all do drugs, they all have sex, and they all like are just like horrible human beings, right? They all cheat on their partners, things like that. And um, each death slightly gets more satisfying. Um, I, I would say Freddie was a very satisfying death because of, how he treated his his burned wife you know so um uh, prospero was was interesting it was definitely not what i expected <laughs> like amy said i yeah. you know, i i was actually watching it on my plane ride back home from thanksgiving and i was like looking behind my seat and like man i hope the people behind me didn't see that because that was pretty gruesome and i want to give a big shout out yeah. to the makeup department because um you know when you see these kids come back as mm -hmm. ghosts you know the the, pros uh, mm -hmm. the prosthetics and stuff like that it's like really really well done um and that was one of those situations where you had to make it look like there was a bunch of burn victims um and that one to me was the most horrifying because like even when um uh, uh arthur pym is in there and he's trying to clean the scene up for mm -hmm. any evidence people are still like moving around like they're still conscious like it was just disgusting it was it was genuinely yeah. disgusting no, and there was something just kind of going above that. Um, there was just something that was just so horrifying and sad about Freddie's wife, right? Um, you know, yes, she went in with the intentions of maybe having sex, you know, having, you know, just a, like an orgy, right, with other people. But regardless of that, just what the way Freddie treated her post uh, recovery or, or trying to recover was just horrifying. I thought I was like probably the darkest that uh, Mike Flanagan was like, we're going to go this road. And I'm like, oh, man, that mm -hmm. scarred me just the way it went all about that. And yes, it was satisfying to see Freddie die because of the way he was treating her, you know, bringing her back from the hospital, removing her teeth. I was like, holy crap, this is like horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking of the makeup department, um, Madeline, again, spoiler alert for everyone, Madeline at the end, um, having kind of that Egyptian mummified, um, holy, mm -hmm. that that probably scared me the most out of this entire series. Um, <laughs> seeing her eyes just blinded, I was like, ooh, that was, I don't know. That was something about that was was very uh, just tough to see. Yeah, that was, and, that was really. And, and I want to say, um, you know, of all of all these deaths, right? Like you're you're kind of starting to realize like these people are, are slowly getting killed off one by one. Mm -hmm. And each episode is dedicated to one of the, the children and then, you know, um, the Goldbug episode where they um, where they launch Goldbug and um, you know she eventually gets crushed by the mirror. I mean the the slow mo effect, the, the watching the glass mm -hmm. physically shatter her in the back and then in the chest. Mm -hmm. Like they mm -hmm. they really paid attention to detail on, on the death scenes here. And at times it's tough to like watch it all the way through, right? Like right. you almost want to look away. So uh, again, Mike Flanagan does death scenes really really well. Um, 
you know, in his previous work with Netflix. Uh, I'm glad they kind of let him stick with some of that gruesomeness. Like they didn't really tell him to scale it back. It was mm-hmm. very, it was not toned back and I loved it. Agreed. And I, I think it was so much fun that so many of these deaths were foreshadowed, especially mm-hmm. if you know about Edgar Allan Poe's works, you could, you could see them coming, but I didn't think that weakened them. I didn't think that it was disappointing that you knew it was going to happen. I was excited to see how it would unfold. Yeah, very true. Um, I think the one that's, uh, there's so many that are scarring, but I think the one that stood out to me the most was um, the one that was the surgeon for, uh, for um mm. oh man I, I, the name is not sticking to me but uh for uh her partner dr al or surgeon i think that one was just the most kind of somewhat like freddie's wife right she did not deserve that at all you know just yeah. an innocent person wanting to do the right thing for people with heart issues the way her death happened and when she removed her heart to put like the little uh pump thing oh my god that was like whoa again shout out to the makeup department um, even the graphic designers for like the CGI, that was really, really well done too. But I was like, man, like it's it's crazy how far they can <laughs> want to go with these. Um, but yeah, perfect. We want to go ahead and dive into uh, the writing. Amy, I, this is where I really wanted you to shine. Um, I just want to kind of, you know, I know we dove into this a little bit with the foreshadowing, but I just want to know from your perspective, how was the writing for this show? What did you think about it? It, it was, I thought it was so excellent. Um, I, Jay, I agree with you. Sometimes Mike Flanagan gets super monologue and, mm-hmm. I, and I have a short attention span. I'll, I don't, yeah. but I'll zone out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, I, I do think this was a bit of a slow burn. I personally really love a slow burn, especially mm-hmm. in horror, because I think that it's just building up the anticipation that you're going to eventually feel like accumulate into not necessarily mm-hmm. jump scare, but just a more shocking moment that's going to shake you up a bit. Mm-hmm. I thought that the writing was well paced. What I found very interesting was uh, the use of quoting Edgar Allan Poe in this mm-hmm. show. Um, I was wondering before I started it, is this a world where Edgar Allan Poe exists or is this a universe mm-hmm. where he was not mm-hmm. a writer, he's not famous and they're just going mm-hmm. to kind of take his stories and sprinkle them throughout this world, which is what they did. But um, I, I, I just thought it was interesting that Roderick in particular was quoting Edgar Allan Poe a lot. And I was kind of wondering where that was coming from. Is he actually this, you know, someone who would have been a great writer, a great artist, had he not gone down a very dark and corporate path? Mm-hmm. Or was this something born out of his illness? Or was this something that was kind of being channeled through him from some other force? I just thought it was a fascinating way to actually tie in the words of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and I, I, it felt very complete by the end. I was not necessarily wanting mm-hmm. more. If anything, I was kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. I can breathe now. And my goodness, <laughs> I, I, I hope that I hope that August, I hope that all of these other characters find some peace after this because yeah. I am exhausted for them and I am a little traumatized for them, but it, it, I mean, it's so good. His writing is always good though. Like even when I don't enjoy, like I, I didn't love midnight mass necessarily, but it wasn't because the writing was bad or it wasn't even because I disliked the writing. It was just a personal preference, but man, I don't think right. I, oh, my dog just jumped up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah. I thought that the writing was great. I don't think that he, 
it, it never felt cheesy to me. Mm -hmm. It never felt, uh, it, it never felt inauthentic. It really felt oh. like this was such a genuine love letter to something that yeah. a source material that I feel like he genuinely loves and appreciates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know if this, Amy, feel free to jump in. I don't know if there's like a, a name for this. I love his use of sound in this because, um, you know, for instance, the episode where the uh, uh, surgeon, where you find out her death, you know, you hear the squeaking noise and it, it turns out to be the heart pump, but you don't find that out to the end of the episode. You keep hearing the bell and you're like, what is this bell? Why are they downstairs in the basement of Fortunato? And um, you later find out in the final episode, that's where they buried uh, Griswold alive. So like, um, I mean, yeah, the, the use of sound in his writing was really well done because it foreshadowed so much. And even from the very first episode, I agree with Brandon. That first episode is really, really slow. As a matter of fact, um, it after the first episode was done, I couldn't even watch another episode. I felt like it was too slow for me. But you know the you know the foreshadowing to the jester costume. You're like, what's this jester have to do with anything? Oh, yep. Um, the uh, the Raven. You know, again, I know going into it that there was some Edgar Allan Poe symbolism, but you know, what is the purpose of this ra Raven being here? Um, so you're starting to find out all these things that he did a really good job of slowly peeling back layers. Um, you know, obviously Roger telling the story of everything that happened to Augie from like the very first episode. I just love the way you, you slowly peel back this mystery. It felt also, it felt right. very mysterious and you're trying to find out who's this bartender and where was this bar? Like, did it really exist? There's a lot of cool elements to that. Oh, agreed. And and he, Mike did one of like my favorite things that could happen in any storytelling where you kind of know some, you know that something bad has happened. And then it's about walking backwards to find out mm -hmm. to where that point began, which I thought he did a, a great job of and something I was super curious about. And Brandon, are you a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe? Like, do you know a lot of the, do you know a lot of his work? Um, um, did you know back this. I well back in middle school I can definitely tell you something where it's hot but like post like middle school high school like oh. I honestly <laughs> haven't read a lot of, no I'm just being very very honest but um it's even more but the raven I think that's something that I know very well I remember the Simpsons even for Treehouse of Horror that's something they've done multiple times so <laughs> uh so that that title specifically I'm well aware of but not a lot of other ones uh being honest so understood well I was I, yeah. I might have to Put my dog out in a second i'm sorry but um <laughs> no worries. I, I was super curious if someone who yeah. had never read edgar Allan poe is mm -hmm. not at all familiar with his work mm -hmm. like i want I, I was wondering what that experience would be would it be because yeah. i was i was thrilled like as soon as like i saw roderick staring at a brick wall mm -hmm. i was like there is a dead body behind there and yeah like th there were so many just metaphors and mm -hmm. Um, symbolisms that I was able to remember that I didn't even think I would remember but I'm very curious as yeah. to what it would be like to watch it without knowing that that's true and I think a lot of people would have enjoyed it regardless right like I can say like I didn't even know Arthur Pym was someone else completely outside of the fall of the um, house of Usher um, just the way they incorporated him and eventually I had to like look him up and I was like oh wow they did a good job because he mentioned his adventures his stories right out to the like exploring mm -hmm. the world I'm like that was a great fascinating um incorporation because you find out about this character why is he so smart how is he so intelligent it just comes from the experiences that he's learned so even from that little aspect that i learned afterward i thought it was really well done they had a great re they had great researchers mm -hmm. or you know probably the <laughs> yeah. Right oh yeah <laughs> oh for sure 
and, and I will say real quick on that note is is right the tone matches because obviously this is a super dark show. Midnight right. Mass was in my opinion dark, but it took a while to get there, right? Like right. most of this show takes place in in the Usher house, right? Like it's mm-hmm. dark and it, it feels mm-hmm. mysterious and creepy and scary, even from when you're seeing uh, Madeline and Roderick as kids, right? The house feels yeah. creepy. Yeah. Um, it feels just weird, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's where kind of the Edgar Allan Poe, even in, in Fortunato, you're like, there's so many secrets hidden in this mm-hmm. corporation, in this building, you know, there's mm-hmm. um, opioid deaths and things like that. So, um, you know, I think I think the tone, the tonal shift in this this miniseries really lines up. I mean, considering you open up the series at a funeral for three yep. people. <laughs> yeah. You know? so, oh yeah, it's very true. Um, and that adjuster, since you brought it up briefly, scared the hell out of me but i think both times i was <laughs> yeah. not expecting that i was like well where's this kind of coming from but um but we're gonna go ahead and move on um there's two actors i want to talk about specifically in this bruce uh, greenwood and mark hamill um they have been debuted in the mike flanagan uh universe i guess if you want to call it that uh we see him use a lot of these same actors which they all do fantastic i think they're all really mm-hmm. really good um but bruce greenwood i feel like i haven't seen him in a lot of things lately and just to see him out of nowhere pop in and do something uh you know blockbuster level fantastic uh mark hamill my god uh so good you know <laughs> you, you think of someone who was this you know young humble hero as luke skywalker eventually make his way to voicing the uh the joker and batman and you know we're seeing this person become a villain in so many works and i just want to ask both of you what you guys thought about bruce greenwood and mark hamill in the series what i thought was so interesting about Mm -hmm. them is that they're both deplorable human beings Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and yet there were points where i was not Mm -hmm. rooting for them to live or come out on the other side better Mm -hmm. because um it's Mike Flanagan. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that they, they drum up sympathy for Bruce's character because you, you see a lot of his past, you kind of get a glimpse as to why he's as messed up as he yep. becomes and, you know, less so for Mark Hamill's character, because I feel like even though we got a better idea of mm-hmm. his misdeeds toward the end mm-hmm. of the series um mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking to myself like you know dang uh th- th- that is someone I guess that you would want to have on your side yeah <laughs> 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 uh, yep. but he was he was intriguing I, I wouldn't even say that he was scary I was just I was always excited yep. not excited when he came on the screen but I was mm-hmm. always hoping that we would learn a little bit more about him because I think that they did a really good job at keeping a lot of his past and identity is arm's length for the entire time yeah yeah mike flanagan loves reusing his cast that's one thing about him uh his wife yeah. kate uh mm-hmm. kate siegel uh obviously yeah she's obviously in the in the in the series as well um yeah. mark hamill just played mark hamill to me like he's just very <laughs> you know he used the joker yeah. voice and yeah um i love i love the ending where he's trying to get rid of uh verna's body and, mm. and she uh, and he calls the guy and he's like, I need a, I need a disposal. <laughs> and he's just, you know, he's the get it yeah. done guy. And I absolutely yeah. love that. Um, yeah. Bruce Greenwood as, as, as Roderick, I agree with Amy. Like he's, he played the calculated role really like, right. He's yeah. trying to keep the family together um, in the opening uh, mm-hmm. court scene. 
where Augie teases to the fact that he has an informant. Like, like you, you could tell just from the beginning he means business. He's like family dinner now, significant others yep. attend, uh, sign these NDAs. Like, I mean, you can tell right away that they're trying to establish this guy as a guy who means yep. business. And as you again peel back those layers, you're like, okay, this, you know, this is interesting. You see how he betrays Augie, um, you yeah. know. So I, I thought he played a, a great, like, head of the family, CEO, uh, just an overall, really, again, everyone mm-hmm. in this family is just a piece of crap, right? <laughs> like, like they have, yeah. they have screw you money, and they can get away with yeah. whatever they want. I mean, they even say at the end yeah. four and a half billion dollars, like, yeah, um, you know. So obviously they're worth something. I also want to give a shout out to Carla. Uh, is it Gugino? Gugino, Gugino yeah. Um, um, you know, she's obviously also in all of Mike Flanagan's shows yeah. of Spy Kids fame. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Spy Kids <laughs> one, two, and three. Yeah. Um, she uh, she yeah. plays. I think she plays the role of Verna really well. I, I guess that was supposed to symbolize death or or the devil or whatever it was. But yeah. um, you know, that was that was really well done, and you could tell like uh, Madeline gets really scared of her because she knows what's coming, and it's just funny yeah. how Roger kind of forgets it all because he blocked it or the medication's giving him dementia or whatever it may be. So I thought that was really. Yeah. I thought she played the part really well as well. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, sorry. Go ahead, Amy. Yeah. No, I just, I thought this was really interesting. Like you were saying, Jay, she represents death or the devil or something. Mm -hmm. I saw a really intriguing theory today that someone said she represents Mother Nature, Verna, like Mm -hmm. green. And I thought that was that was fun because it, it just goes to show at the end of the day, no matter how much money you have, like Mother Nature kind of comes for us all. And I thought that was a really fun way to potentially play her, but I you know I think speculating yeah. is the fun part. Yeah, I, that definitely is. And, and and I will say the ending is so heartbreaking with the granddaughter, right? Yes. Um, yep. Because the whole series they're teeing her up to be like the one apple, the one bright apple, right? The one who's like not like the rest of the family. She's she's you know uh, at the end resentful of her dad and eventually turns her dad in and like. It, it, Lenore, that was her name. I'm trying to think of uh, her name. Lenore, yeah. you know, there's a foundation eventually named after her. And you could tell it hurt Verna so much to have to take her life. And you're kind of sitting there thinking, like, is she going to spare her? You know, she hasn't done anything wrong. She's just a child. Yeah. And um, she still has to die because part of the deal is the bloodline has to die, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a really tough scene because, like, the whole mm-hmm. series, you're like, okay, I don't care if everyone dies, as long as Lenore is fine, right? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, just, it gets you. It gets you. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's just reality, right? Um, good people in the world do, you know, die, um, mm-hmm. as well as some bad people do. Um, that is just a harsh reality of it. Um, it just it, it it kind of it's it's very interesting to think they were at this bar were they at the bar with the devil you know was this like a, a space i think they talk about it they think about it, a time where space and time doesn't exist um i don't know if that's reflective with it being new year's right entering a new decade um so i don't know that was i just found that to be very uh fascinating as well as a uh, roderick's ex-wife or his first wife you know her dying by suicide that's just very strong as well saying like you know she just wasn't happy anymore with roderick or you know madeline or the decisions uh, she made. She was also seen by Ray. And I think that was also very reflective where I think Roger might've mentioned that Lenore reminded him of his first wife um, in a way mm-hmm. too. So, but all right, we're going to go ahead and move on. So I just want to know, since we have mentioned Midnight Mass, Bly Manor, um, as well as The Haunting of Hill House, and if you guys even want to mention Dr. Sleep um, as well, or Gerald's Game, 
in terms of the Mike Flanagan uh, universe, where do each of these titles rank? Where would you put Fall of the House Usher? Ooh, I think that for me personally, it and um, I haven't seen haven't seen all of his work. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Nightclub. I only watched some of Gerald's Game, and I actually haven't mm-hmm. watched Doctor Sleep. Um, okay. All of those cases is because the books made me sad. <laughs> yeah, <but, laughs> <laughs> I put myself through the through living the pain. Right. But yeah, I think this falls second to me, uh, okay. next to Haunting of Hill House. Um, I thought it was great. I it was still a ghost story, but it right. was so dramatic. It was such a family yes. drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that it's Midnight Mass and then Haunting of Bly Manor for me. I was okay. Yeah. I was a little blinded on the Bly Manor. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Bly Manor was very disappointing to me because he was coming off of Hill House, which mm-hmm. um I, I was telling Brandon this earlier in the week. I think Hill House has the best TV reveal of anything with the Bent Neck Lady. Yeah. And I I I love Haunting of Hill House. It's one mm-hmm. of the best things I've ever watched, I think. Uh Midnight Mass was okay to me. Um mm-hmm. it's a lot of monologues. I feel like I just didn't have the attention span to sit through most of it. Um yeah. but I did like the element of like the demon and like mm-hmm. um you know the the religious aspect of it. So um this is also yeah. number two for me behind Hill House with Midnight Mass at three and um Blind Manor. Yeah Blind Manor I like Blind Manor. It's just there's like one scary moment in the whole series. Um <laughs> It, it yep. seems like they were trying to go for the same kind of reveal of the bent neck lady and yep. lady of yeah. the lake. And I was kind of prepared for it, I feel like. So I don't know. Blind Manor mm-hmm. to me was just okay. I love Dr. Sleep. I actually kind of like Dr. Sleep more than The Shining, which is a little blasphemous, I know. <laughs> but um, I, I thought Dr. Sleep was really well done. Uh, and I truthfully haven't seen his other work. But um, of, of those four yeah. things... Uh, Hill House is, I think, by far and away ahead. Okay. Uh, but this was really good because this also felt really grounded in reality, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of the things that were happening were like realistic, like the way people were dying I um, with a cat, you know, making him <laughs> <laughs> jump off a ledge and uh, yeah. or pushing him off a ledge, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the mirror crushing her. The, the uh, I love the explanation for Prospero's death, you know, is uh acid coming from tanks like i I feel like all of the deaths were really grounded in reality and i'm thinking like if i'm watching these on the news right if we had some tycoon family worth billions of dollars and their kids were just dying one by one by one Mm -hmm. like a lot of these sound like realistic deaths that i would see on the screen and be like yeah that's just rich people stuff i guess right so um uh, that's what i really liked about the series it felt pretty grounded in reality but like amy said it was still a ghost story right that's and because true. yeah, and because so many of these characters like had some sort of mental illness or like mm-hmm. their minds mm-hmm. were just deteriorating, I think that it was a really great opportunity to kind of, you know, I, I think that by the end we know like that this isn't just that it's it's supernatural mm-hmm. as well. But like with so much Edgar Al- so many Edgar Allan Poe stories, there is no ghost, there is no demon, there is just a main character who is actually a monster, and they are succumbing mm-hmm. to their own brain. So I found myself wondering, especially toward the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. is this like how much of this is real and how much of this is just this character is right. so gone at this point and mm-hmm. we are just seeing their madness. And, and I like that you actually kind of see it from the perspective of like their significant others. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting his name, the guy uh, uh, with the cat when mm-hmm. when he walks into the apartment and he sees 
uh, he sees him taking down the walls. He's like, what do you possibly, you know, why, why is my apartment like torn apart? But he doesn't hear mm -hmm. the cat noise, you know, yeah. for certain people, like they don't hear certain noises. They don't yeah. see. So to him, he's like overdosing on drugs or something. Right. Or he's hallucinating right. on drugs. And and they kind of allude to that because he has a conversation with him in the morning saying you've taken the partying up a notch mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. your sibling's death. Right. So <laughs> Right. To them, like you're seeing it from their perspective, and I think that's how we're supposed to view it, right? It's like maybe these guys are just up to a lot of rich people stuff, right? They're doing a bunch of blow, they're doing a bunch of drugs, like they're always partying. Mm -hmm. You know, are they for sure like all there? Yeah, that's very interesting too. It's it's funny how a lot of these, because uh, you know, remember with Augie, he wasn't able to see any of these ghosts, but Roderick was able to see them. So that was very fascinating mm -hmm. to me. Um, during even all those moments. And same thing, was the cat ever there? You know, was the the lady who was the devil, was she ever there? So that was something I just found very interesting as well. Um, all right, we do have a couple minutes left, so we're going to try to wrap it up next. Um, so there is news that Flanagan, as we mentioned, this was this uh, swan song title with Netflix, as I kind of think the fall of the Usher, sort of symbolizing for the end of his entire Netflix series. He has signed a, a partnership with Amazon um, to do what seems to be Stephen King novels, which is so exciting. If there's one person who can live adapt these, it is Mike Flanagan, I believe. I uh, just want to get your thoughts. I like. I think with the bigger budget that is Amazon, he can do so much more with a lot of these. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Oh, I completely agree. And I mean, he's he's done Stephen King before. He did Gerald's Game. That's right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, although I, I didn't finish it, I, I hear it was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I agree. I don't think that there's really any other director that I would mm -hmm. really trust those IPs with because I feel yeah. like Stephen King just seemed to right have a very similar idea of what horror can and should be mm. for certain audiences yeah yeah i'm uh i'm really excited again i really love dr sleep um as a nice sequel to the shining um i feel like amazon has been throwing money around like crazy for some of their series so <laughs> yeah uh, they just did it with lord of the rings obviously the boys um and, and invincible which are both inspired by comics so um you know i feel like Stephen King, there's a lot of untapped potential there, right? Oh, like, yeah. There's so many good good IPs mm -hmm. still out there um, that aren't just like It and The Shining and things like that. So um, I'm excited. I mean, Mike Flanagan gets the horror genre. I think it's really hard to make a good horror movie because um, oh, a lot of is. people yeah. think it's just, it's, it's killing or it's a ghost story, it's a slasher or whatever it may be. Um, so this is, this is a good opportunity to really tell some really good stories. And I'm excited. I mean... Yeah. Um, nothing against Netflix. Netflix has had pumped out a lot of good stuff lately, but I think with, with the Amazon budget, uh, there's unlimited potential there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, Amy J, that is going to wrap it for today. Amy, thank you so much. We've been friends for years. I'm happy we could finally say we worked <laughs> together on something, right? So <laughs> Me too. Thank you. Yeah, and it was so nice meeting you, Jay. And now, we, and, and now we know we have a horror movie expert. There because, we go. Yeah. Oh, because, you want to uh, call me that? Okay. <laughs> Stephen Brandon never want to talk horror movies, so here yeah. we are. <laughs> I will absolutely be a returning guest for sure. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. All right. We'll definitely enjoy Disney's Hollywood Studios tonight. Tell Ian we say hello. So. <laughs> do. Perfect. All right. Thank you. All right. You have a good night. All right, everyone. Thank you both. Have good nights. See you. Take care. Bye.